Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 513. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, refreshed and back from a vacation. I'm a real girl. Oh, boy, it's so good to be back. You guys don't know the difference because I wasn't away during any episodes. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Ryan? I'm, I'm good. How was everything? How was seeing your family and being on airplanes and being in California? It was so nice to see my family because I have not seen them since we began this panorama. And it was so lovely to just get to see them because it's been such a long time because they're on the other side of the country. I could have done without the flying, but all in all, I got to be in a place that had working fixtures because I have renovation on my house and it was so nice to be somewhere (laughs) where I didn't have to wear shoes in the house (laughs) to protect my feet. Oh, boy. It's all going to be worth it in the end. We have a jam-packed episode this week, Mm -hmm. and on the show, if you're just joining us, we're going to talk about all the things happening this week in Marvel that we're excited about, from games, comics, movies, TV, or what have you. And look, oh boy, the beginning of this week started with the trailer for Marvel Studios' Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, Spider-Man, no way home, no way home. That's the chant, right? No way home. I hope there are people in theaters <laughs> chanting that before the movie starts everywhere. At the Spider-Man far from home carpet. I remember talking to John Watts and he was like, well, I've got to come up with more home names now. I guess they all have to be home themed. And then he really did that, which was my favorite thing ever. So I love the home triptych that we've got going on right now. Awesome. I'm so excited for this movie. We get to see a little bit of the fallout from Spider-Man Far From Home in the trailer. You know, at the end of that film, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it's your Mm. own fault. It's been three years. But Mysterio's (laughs) actions have changed Peter Parker's world. His identity is now out. And a bunch of stuff is going to happen, including Doctor Strange is going to help him make the world forget who he is. And I'm here for sweatpants, Dr. Strange. I'm here for I'm cold in my house. He's also, I feel like he's like feeling the vibes of being at home for a couple of years. And he's like, I don't need to wear this whole robe situation. I got my cape. I got my cozies and I'm good. A hundred percent. That look is so tremendous. He's got a sweatshirt on, then a jacket on top of it, and then the cloak of levitation on top of that. It is. I can't wait to see that at Halloween or at Comic-Cons. Yeah, that's a great point. Oh, man. Also, folks might have noticed a familiar face in that trailer. That was exciting. When you see it and you're like, I know you. Hello, Peter. Hello, Peter. Hello, Peter. Is that a a good impression? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely go watch this. Get excited. Spider-Man No Way Home hits theaters December 17th. How many months is that? So let's see. It's only three and a half months away. We're getting close. In more Spider-Man related news, the movie making magic of Marvel Studios, Spider-Man, a new book from Abrams, is going to arrive on shelves November 30th and you can pre-order it now. It features all sorts of behind the scenes artwork from previous Marvel Studios Spider-Man films and it's awesome. So definitely go check that out. You can read more about it at marvel.com. I love these books, you know, Ryan Minerding, who is one of the visual development folks from Marvel Studios, does Spider-Man's artwork, which also he's an amazing follow on Instagram. He really especially loves Spider-Man and Captain America. And let me tell you, his drawings and things are just awesome. And sometimes he'll post things that maybe didn't even make it out into the movies, but he just wants to show some of the iterations they did. And it's really, really fun. 
Yeah, he's pretty incredible. I also want to give a shout out to Abrams Books, who we've been doing some books with for the last year and a half, two years, something like that. They crush it. I have a ton yeah. of their books. Like I want a subscription of just like everything that Abrams releases for Marvel to automatically get sent here because they're so good. Them, DK, there's some really great folks making informative and behind the scenes books or books for kids like Abrams books mm -hmm. for kids are spectacular. Yeah, definitely check them out, especially if you like comprehensive guides and art books and stuff like that. They're just fabulous. But Marvel Studios What If, new episode up this week. You can watch it streaming exclusively on Disney Plus as always. Plus, we've got interviews with Jeffrey Wright and director Brian Andrews later on in the episode. Of course, Jeffrey Wright plays the one, the only, the man of, well, he's not really a man. He's an alien. The Watcher. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is just fantastic. Yeah. His performance is so cool. And as you get further along in the series, I think you're going to clamor for even more Jeffrey Wright as you go along. Yeah. Moving on, let's talk about Marvel Studios Eternals because the final trailer was recently released and boy, it's a big one. We've got a lot to see and explore in this trailer and still leaves so much that you guys have not seen yet. It addresses the Eternals role on Earth and question everybody was asking why they were nowhere to be seen when Thanos snapped. So we get into that. We get into lots more. And if everybody has been excited about Eternals, there's now a lot more information about the figures, the merchandise. We saw some Funkos inspired by the movie. They are on the way. We saw a lot more about the Marvel Legends. There's a Build-A-Figure for Gilgamesh, who love me some Gilgamesh. So you can check all that stuff out on Marvel.com. And of course, Marvel Studios Eternals arrives in theaters November 5th. Oh man, fall is going to be a good time because we got another Hasbro PulseCon coming on in October, October 22nd through the 23rd. And it's going to include a whole bunch of awesome Marvel stuff. You can watch it on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. There's going to be reveals. There's going to be new details. There might be some Marvel Legends stuff. I don't know. Maybe we're going to see. And of course, you know, Ryan's favorite thing in the whole world. The MODOK World Domination Tour Pack. Da, 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 da. That's a Hasbro PulseCon exclusive. So make sure you go pre-order it. You get to see that. And yeah, we don't know the details of what's coming in the Hasbro PulseCon, but I mean, it's going to be fun. They've been teasing surprises and reveals and all kinds of stuff. So I'm excited. And if you haven't seen the Rockabilly MODOK, you can check my, uh, my social. Well, you are Rockabilly. It does seem fitting. Well, I kind of feel like I devoted so much of my early life to Rockabilly <laughs> that I deserve to own it. So we'll see what happens. Maybe it could happen. Yeah. And there's even more Hasbro stuff to talk about this week because Galactus is funded, everybody. Yeah. Hooray. Marvel Legends Galactus, the HasLab project, has accumulated all of its backers. And so those of us who have given the money and wanted to make Galactus a giant toy, but like almost the small human in our house, then we did it, y'all. It's real. It's going to happen. Would you say he's Chucky sized? I think he's bigger than Chucky, but definitely less murdery than Chucky. Is he though? He eats whole planets and Chucky just eats a couple people. It's not murder. Hey, look, semantics for us to discuss at another Let's date. get into a theoretical conversation about this, Ryan. <laughs> yes, Is but... Galactus a murderer if he's just eating a planet? 
<laughs> if you haven't backed Galactus, you still have a little bit of time. You go to HasbroPulse.com. You click on HasLab. You can see you can get in on it. And hopefully, maybe we can get some of the stretch business and get Frankie Ray Nova. I wish we could get some of the others. You guys don't even know how cool they are. Anyway, that's that. There was also on the Hasbro tip some more really, really cool stuff this week. We saw that there was a Hasbro live stream that included some stuff from Spider-Man No Way Home. That included some comic figures like Shriek and Morlin, which I love me some Morlin. And then... We've got Miles Morales from Spider-Man, Miles Morales, the PS5 game, and a little bit of a reveal of Excalibur. You can watch the entire Hasbro live stream at the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel and stay tuned, get all your pre-orders in and enjoy it. Me, I am also super duper excited because there's a Transformers one happening and I'm just going to have to throw my money at that one too. You know what? Sometimes you got to do what you got to do, man. Moving on, Marvel's Voices Identity Number 1 is out. I know we talked about this a lot when it was first announced, and it's so awesome. It's featuring characters like Shang-Chi, Ms. Marvel, Jubilee, Silk, and Jimmy Woo, with stories by awesome creators like Jean Luen Yang, Christina Strain, Maureen Gu, Greg Pak, Alyssa Wong, and, and many, many more. Um, this is going to just be a really awesome comic, so go pick it up. Also, I love these covers. They're all fire. So this issue was one of our picks of the week over on the Marvel's Pull List podcast alongside Cable, Reloaded number one, Spider-Man, Life Story Annual number one, which I I think is an issue you really love, Lorraine. It's a big focus on J. Jonah Jameson. I know you love Triple J and Wolverine number 15. But I also want to give a special shout out to Dark Hawk number one. I am not, I, I'll be honest, I'm not a Dark Hawk guy. I never really connected with the character, but this was a really good issue. And there's a lot of discussion about multiple sclerosis and the connection that that character in the book has to that and how we at Marvel have brought in some real life experience and perspective into the book. And it's really cool. It's something I didn't know about, and I think they did a great job with it. So definitely check that out. All right. We got to move on to Marvel games because holy buckets, there's a whole bunch. You're right, Lorraine. So many video game things to talk about. Let's start with the announcement because we just announced this Wednesday at Gamescom Marvel's Midnight Suns game, which is a collaboration between Marvel and 2K for Axis Games. Maybe you know the series of games called XCOM, really cool strategy games with some alien stuff and a lot of thought goes into those games. Well, this is going to be from that same team who makes those and it is freaking cool this is a new tactical rpg set in the darker side of the marvel universe you get to go face to face against supernatural forces you team up with and live among the midnight suns who in this game are earth's last line of defense against the underworld and lorraine i know there are two characters in this description that you are probably all about lilith the mother of demons yeah, that's me. <laughs> and her evil master, Kthon. We almost named Kaiju Kthon. Oh, that would have been really good. <laughs> I could not talk my husband into it. I tried to come up with a few demon names, and he was like, I don't think we should give the dog a demon name. And I was like, fine. If you have a, another dog, and then maybe it's a girl, you can name it Ilyana, because she could be mm. queen of Limbo and also a demon herself. I should have just named him Hellhound, but here we are. Yes. Anyway, back to Marvel's Midnight Suns. And in here, we've got the team includes Nico from The Runaways, Nico Minoru, Blade, Magic, 
Ghost Rider. And in the art here, we see Wolverine. There's also some really cool stuff as they're sort of come together. There's a new warrior called the Hunter. There's a lot going on in here. It's very exciting. I love, love, love a dark, creepy game. And I love me some horror. So this is gonna make me feel happy. You can watch the trailer now. And of course, you can get more info at midnightsuns.com. And you can check out the hashtag darkness falls on social media. And of course, look out there is going to be world premiere gameplay on Wednesday, September 1st. You can get more details about that on marvel.com or over at midnightsuns.com. Go check it out. It's gonna be awesome. And of course, look out for the game coming in spring 2022. But right now, how about you get your hands on Marvel Future Revolution? Marvel Future Revolution is Marvel's first open-world action RPG on mobile. It's a ding-dang delight. It's a blast. Plus, Lorraine, I'm in the game. And that's the only reason you should play it, Ryan. And also, it's a beautiful game. I can't believe that you can play it on mobile. Ryan is in the game. Ryan, what what's the hookup? You got a hookup for us? Like what's I, what's what's good, man? Well, in the game I am a vendor, like an NPC. You can buy various sundries from me throughout the different regions of the game and I have different looks depending on where you find me. It's super cool. Please anybody out there as you play Marvel Future Revolution, grab a screenshot, tweet it to me at agent M. I want to see these or you can tag me on Instagram and I'll share them on my gram. But bonus we have a little code for everybody. If you use the code Agent M, that's A G E N T M, in the game, you can redeem it for fifty thousand gold. Just a little, a little gold because I am money. Oh boy! So that's code Agent M in Marvel Future Revolution gets you fifty thousand gold. Remember, I'm money. I'm not mad about it because I'm gonna get fifty thousand gold. <laughs> yeah, and you can download Marvel Future Revolution on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. Well, that's all cool stuff, but I've got more cool stuff. Marvel and Vivi keep introducing digital collectibles. The hits keep coming. So this past week, we saw collectibles for New Mutants number 98, House of X number one, and Marvel's number one. I'm sure there'll be more stuff coming in the coming days. So keep your eyes peeled. You can check out more about Marvel and Vivi and their awesome digital collectibles on Marvel.com. I really wanted New Mutants number 98 because it's the first appearance of Deadpool and I wanted the digital collectible of it. I didn't get to my VV app in time. It sold out in 30 seconds. Every version of it was gone so fast. So if you want to get on these, make sure you have the VV app on your phone. You're ready for it when these drop. Generally, they drop at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, and then figure that out in your time zone. Lorraine, one of the most important birthdays that we celebrate at Marvel, it would be Jack Kirby's birthday on Saturday, August 28th. Even if you don't know Jack Kirby's name, you absolutely know his work. He was an integral part of creating the Marvel Universe as we know it today. He worked on Fantastic Four 1 through 103. He's just worked on so many important issues, including X-Men, Eternals, Captain America, 2001, Machine Man, Black Panther, so much stuff. Man, Without Jack Kirby, Marvel just would not be Marvel. A true genius in his time and even today. Everybody, go read some Jack Kirby comics and just say thank you, Jack, for making all the things you did for us.
All right, I am ready for some Marvel Studios what ify goodness. Let's get into some awesome interviews. This first one was really fun. We got to speak with Jeffrey Wright, who plays the Watcher, our unifying force within Marvel Studios what if. And we get to talk to him about the Watcher, his relationship with his son and his son's fandom, which was, I thought, really sweet as well. Listen. Lorraine, I am so excited because we are joined by the voice of the Watcher himself, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. What is your Marvel origin story in in the sense of what was the first time you heard about, got connected to, were like aware of the Marvel characters and universe? That was years ago. Um, (laughs) um, Too many years for me to uh, trace back. I mean, I wasn't a comic head. But I, you know, I dabbled here and there and I always dug the Marvel characters. There was a kind of like modern edge to them. The Marvel were like, you know, kind of the young rebel characters, you know, on the scene. So, yeah, I was, um, of course, much older (laughs) when I was introduced to the cinematic universe. And that really came through my son's eyes. He's 19 now. So, you know, 10 years ago, he was nine, 10 and we saw you know his first marvel movie together and he's now become my go-to reference guide for all things marvel i mean it's you know he's grew up essentially with this stuff you know he was right at that prime age and so he's a full-on marvel head he he is my watcher i'm the watcher he's my watcher <laughs> what was his reaction then when you were like hey i'm going to do a marvel show yeah his his head blew up all, you know <laughs> He had to walk around the room and gather the pieces and put his head back together. And then he explained to me who who the watcher was, you know, and he broke it down for me. So I was like, ah, oh, this is interesting, you know? So yeah, there was a lot to explore and a lot to, to draw me into this thing with. And particularly what was cool is that obviously there, we know these characters or many of these characters so well, and they're so well developed. The question then is, well, okay, if I'm going to join through this character, is there a way to kind of differentiate him from what we've seen before? And he certainly is that. He's a peculiar kind of, you know, unique character onto himself. So uh, it was fun stuff, fun stuff to play with. So clearly your son had a big influence. You got to experience some comics. Were there any conversations with director Brian Andrews? Obviously also all of the secrets of the multiverse and its glory weren't really out in the world when you guys were recording this quite a while ago. What were those sort of initial conversations like about that character or was it pretty intact from when you kind of just started doing the voice? No, well, one of the most important conversations was about the voice and, you know, who is this guy? What does he sound like? And we talked about trying to find something that was specific to me and kind of contemporary and not really beholden to kind of the classical or what we see too often is kind of the classical kind of stereotypical idea of this sage, powerful voice, which very often we go back into films or stories that have this mythic element to them. And so we had to talk about as I describe it, the music of the voice, you know, and the rhythms of the voice and the tones. And I wanted to make something that was in some ways like specific to this and my own version of that voice. So that was that was one thing that was a conversation that we had a couple of times about how we would go about that. I was reading a quote from head writer A.C. Bradley, where she was talking about sort of the, the way 
she envisioned the watcher as the person who is filming the pizza rat video right sort of observing and watching which i feel like kind of lines up like there's the dramatic sense of it all but at the same time you just stand back and anything can be interesting and elevated with the right set of eyes behind it i thought that was so fun yeah, he's kicking back, you know, with the microwave popcorn, uh, you know, <laughs> just sitting back, just, you know, watching it all. I mean, you can imagine what his man cave is like, you know, just an infinite number of television screens, like streaming everything simultaneously. You know, he's got the most massive electric and cable bill in all the multiverse, but he is dispassionate, but at the same time, not. I mean, he's a passionate fan of these people and these beings and these stories and as the name implies he's defined by them without them what is he what is he watching so they're almost life itself for him and then in that way he's like any audience member or any of us who hear story who needs story jonah nolan who's the co-showrunner for westworld and of course chris nolan's brother but jonah had an interesting description we were talking about these things when we were working a couple seasons ago and he was talking about story and the way he describes it, story becomes our collective consciousness. That's where we all gather together. And that's really, that's all of us as we come together to understand what life is and who we are and what humanness is. And I think that's one of the reasons that these films are so intensely popular is because the mythology that they present to us is exactly that. It's modern mythology and people need it in order to make order in some ways of things and also in order i think particularly now to find some hope and to find things that they can draw on and trust in this ever increasingly weird <laughs> world that we live in where it's like hard to trust you know you can trust the hulk you know you trust that guy you know you can trust thanos to be thanos and so people are passionate that that not be screwed with and they're passionate that they have a connection to that because it gives them some level of stability. And I think for the watcher, it's the same thing. You know, he's the most insane of all Marvel fans. So we're all who are fans. You know, we all got a little bit of the watcher in us, but he's got a lot of it. I really love that. I feel like you, in a way, almost embody the watcher experience of maybe getting to to join this world and become a part of it and to see, you know, that collective consciousness unfold. What has it been like for you to become part of the Marvel canon and to be a part of something that your son and so many people like him have grown to love and, and have been watchers themselves? Yeah, I've found like, you know, in my career that it's really much better to be a part of stories that people want to see as opposed to those that people don't want to see. <laughs> It's much better this way, you know, it's fun stuff. It's fun stuff. And yeah, it, and I have to say it does have even more meaning to me because it means so much to my, uh, to my son. Amazing. Jeffrey, I just want to say, what if is my all time favorite comic book series? I've got the full run behind me. I friggin' love it. You're crushing it. Thank you for this. You're amazing. We appreciate you. I appreciate that, man. Thank you, bro. Big thanks to Jeffrey Wright. We'll hear his amazing tones as we continue on this season of Marvel Studios' What If. But we have another What If interview this week. It's with director Brian Andrews, who was just 
terrific. He talked about developing the stories for What If alongside producer Brad Winderbaum, writer AC Bradley, producer Kevin Feige, and others. It's really great behind the scenes stuff there. We talk about the animation style and all the inspirations there using iconic Marvel characters and images. And of course, we get into some of his favorite Marvel characters like Spider-Man and one of the goats, Namor the Submariner. Welcome to This Week in Marvel. I'm very excited to be talking to Mr. Brian Andrews about Marvel Studios' What If. What is your Marvel origin story? How'd you first get connected to Marvel as a fan or even just like tangentially like, oh, that's a Spider-Man? What was it for you? I think, well, I mean, probably like, I don't even know what age I was just as a young kid, you know, super, super young. I remember, I have vague memories. I think I, I being fascinated with Superman, like when I was like super young, like, I don't know, maybe I was like one and a half to some like really young, but, you know, I just liked all the, the red and the blue and there was a cape, which seemed cool and the person could fly. So I'm like, wow. But then I got like, you know, probably like a few months older <laughs> and somehow I saw some Spider-Man stuff and that just totally took over. I, I just loved Spider-Man because I don't know, he shot webs out of his hands. He could swing on it. And for some reason in my child brain, I thought that, that oh, that's something I can do. I can hold on to a thing and I can swing. Now I am that character. There's nothing I can do to fly. There's nothing I can do to feel like Superman. And so somehow Spider-Man took over. I also remember those Mego dolls from back in the day. Like we had the Batman and Robin ones, but then we realized there's Marvel ones. And we started getting Marvel ones. And I remember like just falling in love with them. We had Spider-Man, all those guys, but I remember just looking on the back of one and you could see the images of all the others. Or it's in the back of a comic book advertising what they had. I think that was the first time I saw Falcon. I just fell in love with Falcon. I thought he was so, he looked so cool. He was like that white and that red and those wings. And he's like, awesome. Like, I don't know what it was, but I just loved him. So yeah. And then the, the rest is history. So many different heroes have, have a place in my heart. Like I always loved Prince Namor, the Submariner, you know, jumping into pool and pretending you're a Submariner. And just like, it's like, I'm, I'm a Submariner. I'm awesome. You know, it's like, I'm cool. I'm in the water. I'm strong. Namor is one of my favorite characters, so yeah. He could totally fight the Hulk and and win, you know, as long as he's a little bit damp. He'll totally win. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Migos. I used to work at a, a magazine, a couple of magazines, Wizard and Toy Fair, and we did this thing with the action figures called Twisted Toy Fair Theater. And so anytime someone brings up Migos, I think of them as these like surly versions of these characters. I love those, dude. I, I bought like, there's like book that has a bunch of those little strips in there. Like, I love that stuff. I thought that was so hilarious. Uh, yeah, I got a kick out of it. All right. So tell us, how did you start talking to the everybody else at Marvel Studios about directing the What If show? Well, I just got a call out of the blue from Brad. Like I had been doing stuff with Marvel since unofficially since Iron Man, but officially since Iron Man 2, just doing boards, like on action sequences and all that stuff. I you know, was able to be on like every Avengers film and like both Guardians and and a bunch of little bits in between, you know, Ant-Man and Doctor Strange, little bits of that. It's just, just tons of stuff. And so Marvel was familiar with me. And they also knew that concurrently when I was doing all that stuff for them, I was still doing stuff in animation, like with Gendy. You know, we did Fifth Season Samurai Jack while I was doing Marvel stuff. And and so Brad and, you know, I worked a lot with Jonathan Schwartz on the Guardians movies. And I never actually worked with Brad. Like I did some stuff on Ant-Man, but I never met with him. But he was aware of me. And so Jonathan got me together with Brad and we hung out. And he's just like, yeah, man, I'm a fan of all that stuff. I'm like, cool. And then time goes by and then, you know, he gives me a call out of the blue, like, hey, man, you want to work on something cool? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> what? So, yeah. And he's like, hey, I want to do this. What if and I want to do an animated? I'm like, holy cow. 
he's like, yeah, you want you to executive produce and I want you to like direct as well. I'm like, that's great. So that sounds like it should be a yes. <laughs> um, so help me work on this thing. So it was me and him just drawing up some stuff just to get a pitch ready for Kevin, just to see like the viability and think about a look and all that type of stuff. So I, was, I think it was like the summer of 2018 that I was doing that. I was working with him for like a few months. And I talked to him about the style that I wanted to maybe chase if I was going to do it. I'm like, this has to be prestige. We shouldn't do this for a little money. It has to be like big. It has to be amazing. And we should do it only with the goal of trying to push the, no less than trying to move the needle of American animation. Like, why not? Like, go big or go home. Um, and he was just like, yes and yes. And so when we found out this, I looked at the style. I was a big fan of J.C. Leindecker and his illustrative style back in the 20s and the 30s. And Hollywood's trying to do something in his style forever with varying degrees of success. I think even now there's still a few secret projects on various studios that people are trying to like get that stuff animated. But we showed some of Line Decker's work to Kevin and the trio and Kevin immediately was like, hey, if it's going to look like this, I'm in. <laughs> like he was just like straight, like we didn't even get anywhere near any aspect of the pitch. He was just like, if it looks like this, we've got to do it. And um, we showed him like this crazy animatic that we put together of just like some potential imagery just random stuff, like no thought, just barely any of a thought, just because we needed to get something in front of his eyes that, that can just look visually crazy. And then once he said, yes, now we can like delve in deep. And that's when Brad, I think, started looking for a writer, found AC and brought her on. It was just like, we got to do this, you know, and she's like, hells yeah, we got to do this. And, you know, the rest is history. Were there any of like your wild scribbles and ideas that actually made it into the concepts for each of the episodes? Or is it, were you really just like, like, as you were explaining, like, uh, this character with this thing, cause that could possibly have happened. You know, I, I don't think there's any one that actually truly made it as is. I think the only one that we knew, we knew that the first episode was, we want to do something that was at first Avenger base, something that was pulpy 1940s, all that stuff. If Kevin knew already, he didn't tell me yet that he was going to be Captain Carter. We were still chasing avenues of what different ways to do it with, with Steve, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then once it was Captain Carter, and then we knew Skinny Steve would then be like, oh, how would we build him a suit? It need to be in a suit. That'd be awesome. So uh, once we got that, then we were off to the races. And having Captain Carter, it's like, duh, no brainer. So amazing. Why didn't we even think of that faster? And AC knocked that out of the park, and she was like so down for that. And I was down for that. I want to see more Peggy Carter be awesome. And then the fact that they can be a team together, it's like that just opened up visuals so much more. We worked with Paul Lassane, our production designer. Ryan Meinerding was helping us with the look of the quote-unquote characters, and Paul Lassane was basically the look of everything else. You know, it was a Herculean task. And at first we were trying to chase some looks of for the, the BG to mix some other American illustrators in there too, like Tom Lavelle and Mead Schaefer. But it wasn't quite jiving exactly with where we were landing with what we're doing with the characters. So, so Paul needed to like add some extra graphic elements like in the shading and the lighting on the landscape, just some other brushy strokes, some other things. And so we started honing in on what the actual overall look would be and how these two things could bridge and be together. You mentioned working on, you know, so many Marvel Studios films over the years. What's the feeling being able to get back into pull some of those elements from those films that you worked on before some of those iconic looks i like i specifically think of iron man 2 and tony and the donut and like seeing the first time i saw that shot on film and then seeing it 
in what if it looks so cool it must have been fun for you yeah it was great fun i think it was fun for ac as well to to write some of those scenes like i think it was fun for for all of us when certain aspects of the show were touching on what had come before so closely because then it made this veer off that much more fun you know what i mean because you had this thing within your own episode that was like a touchstone that people are familiar with and know and love so that was a lot of fun and and then in lines of the production those moments helped out in other ways because the design had already been done you know it's like hey so it's like hey here's this set it's like hey do the live action guys have like you know the 3d version of that i mean that's really going to help us out in a little bit like let's ask so actually having some of that stuff already be done and in the back because of the movies at times has been helpful i love that stuff i'm thinking like um like the castle in the end of the first episode there's like the shot the establishing shots and then even at the end i think during the credits there's just like these beautiful paintings of them like that stuff is really gorgeous to see too that's awesome yeah yeah brad wanted to include some of that in title sequences in a way because sometimes we'll do the concept piece and then the vendors need to start painting the bgs based on that sometimes our team will, will create like a production worthy bg and we'll just straight up use it but it is a great way to showcase some of that stuff, you know? And yeah, and sometimes you guys get to see in the credit ending credits something like a little bit looser. And other times you see some that are just straight up, oh yeah, that's the shot. But it's nice to see a mix right? because th- we got a great team and then we got to have amazing artists on our show. So what was the the sort of process of picking what you wanted to turn into the series? Was it you and Brad and AC just like sitting down for a marathon of watching the entire MCU lineup? Or how did that work out? Well, it's funny because Brad is just so knowledgeable. I mean, he's been there for a while. He's risen through the ranks. He's like, you know, he's he's epic. And one of the early stuffs that he was doing when he was first part of Marvel was kind of managing the like timeline stuff. And so he already had kind of like an encyclopedic knowledge about, about things, which was amazing. And so, and we had a group, big cards, like player cards of all these characters that are in the MCU. We had them up on the walls. And so the, those writing meetings early on were a lot of fun because it, you're right. It was AC, it was um, Matt Chauncey who, who AC brought in to help and he's badass. And, and it was Brad and myself. And Simona, who was working with Brad at the time. So together it was the core of us. And we would just riff, 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 and riff, riff, riff until the cows came home and start getting things that we liked. And, and the mandate was to create 30, like simple premises, not even all the details of the episode, just the premises. And we'll kick it to Kevin. We'll see what he chooses. Being a fan of the, the comics, there are a number of things that I always love about them. One is that simple concept, that like that one phrase sentence that tells you like this is the possibility that we're walking into and then the other side of it is so many of them end in heartbreak and tragedy and sadness and it's just like the absolute worst but it's so much fun to get into i'm sure like you guys must have been having a ball with all this oh it was a total blast i mean it was great and we were amazed at how quickly they came and good ones too you know and and there was ones that were challenging and then they took on a new life when we realized oh wait a minute this kernel of an idea that seemed problematic and this kernel of an idea that seemed problematic, but somehow, oh, but those could link together. And now we have, ooh, which then inspires this other thing that then links it all together. And we're like, oh my God, now it's great. You know, so it, it was just that puzzle, jigsaw puzzle aspect of it was a lot of fun. And and to your point, like I know a lot of the comics maybe ended like in tragedy. We didn't want to necessarily want to do that. We want to make sure that we had a variety. You know, it's like, you know, here's our heist movie. Here's our action adventure. Here's our emotional drama. 
So we wanted some that maybe end kind of like, ooh, that's not good, <laughs> which is great, right? It gives us opportunity to go places that maybe the movies don't necessarily go yet, but we didn't want them all to be that way. So we have ones that's like, you know, it's like, this is the comedy one. And this is one that's like a little bit like this or a little more heartwarming, you know, and it's the variety is what's exciting about it. I mean, that's the MCU, right? It's the variety. It's we get everything out of it. What are some of the memorable moments that you had in creating the series? You know, maybe like the recording sessions or, you know, seeing finalized scenes come in. What are some of the things that strike you? All of it. You know, there's so many things I can probably pull from that were memorable. But um, there was one scene that came back early on. Some of the animation they were doing on Skinny Steve was fantastic. I remember when like one of their first dailies came back of Skinny Steve, finally with the line work on him and in style and lit and here we go. Brad was so excited. Like we were watching an editorial and Brad came and checked some stuff out. He's like, okay, okay, let me see, you know, and we're playing it. He's just like, ah, and he like films it with his phone. He's like, none of you are allowed to do this. Just so you know. <laughs> he just had to send, show it to Kevin like immediately. And because it was amazing, the subtlety that we were going for. We never want anything to be over animated and too like cartoony. It's just like, no, 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 no. Strip it all back. You got to keep it subtle. And they did an amazing job. There's this one scene that's like, yeah, Steve, like, you know, talking to Peggy and you're just like, wow, it's, it's this could work. It's working. So that was great. And when it came to the voice acting, each one was its own ride. You know, they're all amazing. Haley's fantastic. That was magical. I think Haley was one of the first actors that we recorded and amazing. She did such an amazing job and she just sinks right back into it. She's like, yep, Peggy Carter, I got this down and like just riffing and playing and like, oh, I'll try it again like this. Maybe she's like, oh yes, yes, yes. It's just so much fun to work with. She's so delightful and so just damn talented. It's incredible. Yeah. You and Jeffrey a... Wright, incredible. I oh mean, my God. my God, come on. That was one early on. It's like early on we're thinking like, okay, okay. Now who we get for the watcher? You know, the studio did their due diligence and provide us a, a list of people to consider. It's funny, for whatever reason, I and I hadn't voiced this to anybody, but I was just like, man, I'm thinking Jeffrey Wright would be the dude. This is that would be amazing. And I didn't know AC was thinking the same thing. So we get the list and we're looking at those and we're both kind of like, man, I don't know. And we're like, you know, it should be. And we're kind of like Jeffrey Wright's like, wait, what? So it was it was amazing. I had no idea she was like thinking the exact same thing I was thinking, but it was great. That's some kismet. It all worked out. It's incredible, dude. Congratulations on this. Brian, thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. What a blast talking to both of those gentlemen. Of course, you can watch Marvel Studios What If streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Go watch it. It's so good. Also, I love that these are like all in canon. I told y'all. It's the greatest thing. It's my favorite thing in the MCU. And it just gets better and better every week. Now, let's think about next week. We have guests from Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So with that in mind, our question of the week is, what are you most excited to see in Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Lorraine, what are you most excited to see? I'm most excited, honestly, to see it on the big screen because the fighting the effects the stuff that's in this movie deserves to be seen in theaters it's so epic i can't wait for everyone to check it out yeah there's a couple of really great battles that i really want to see on a big wide screen giant big booming sound i'm just generally super hyped for it yeah 
You can tweet us your answers using hashtag this week in Marvel. You can email them to twinpodcast@marvel.com, or you could send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. And of course, please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show so we can read it here on the show. That's right. And our question of the week last week was, what is your favorite Marvel what if story? We got a bunch of great answers in here. The first from astronaut Mike Dexter at UNE Jakey. They said, what if the Marvel superheroes had lost Atlantis attacks is an all timer. Wait until you see how Earth's heroes and villains are defeated. Hulk's death is gut wrenching. This one, I will agree with you. Astronaut Mike Dexter. It is a brutal issue. I love this one so much. Just peak 90s. What if doom and gloom and sadness? It's so good. I won't spoil anything. Go find it. Go read it. Next up, DM in San Diego at D Murphine said, what if Doctor Doom kept the Beyonders' powers for Doom versus the Celestials and the awesome cover, and for Doom sacrificing all that power to save the Earth? I love this. Of course, it's a shout out to the original Secret Wars story where he sucks up the Beyonders' powers and all that good stuff. But I love that Doctor Doom is sort of like this villain that can't help but kind of be a hero. Like he really wants to be a hero. He's just too driven by his own ego. Yeah. In some ways, Doom is the greatest hero of all time. The end. Goodbye. Let's keep going. Uh, ben okay. Rush at Ben 110173 says, what if the Marvel bullpen was the Fantastic Four, which is a terrific issue written and drawn by Jack Kirby when he came back in the 70s, a ding dang classic, a DDC. Oh, boy. All right. Moving on. JMS True Slayer at OGT Slay 1974 said, Easy. What if Conan battled Thor? An amazing story, really. I mean, I'm here for these brutal boys fighting. That one's so good, too, because they fight and they become friends. And then there's some sadness and some sweet stuff in it. That's a great issue as well. Grima Knob at Grima underscore author says, I like the second episode of Marvel Studios' What If? T'Challa becomes a Star-Lord? Mainly because it's Chadwick's final performance of the character, but also he's more calm and mature, like a true king, always thinking of helping others. I love how successful he is as Star-Lord. It's so nice. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on. Louis Zvi at Louis Two Drinks says, My very first comic was What If? Number 33 from January 1992. I didn't know the characters or the original story at the time, but I loved it. Because of that book, I became a lifelong true believer. Man, that one is the What If Phoenix Rose Again yeah. issue. Oh, that cover is burned into my brain. I've read that issue so many times. It was one I, I had and read over and over again as a kid. Next one is from Asan Chop. At Asan Chop says, The what if I always loved was what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires? Fully agree. Great, great issue. There's a follow-up to that one, if you've never read it, Asan Chop. That is, uh, what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires during Inferno? It's part of like a whole crossover and connection between the different what if comics. And it's so good. I love it. All right. Next up ah, at BK Gamer YT says, not really a story, but Civil Warrior from Contest of Champions has to be one of my most interesting what if ideas for a character as Captain America dealing with the death of Tony Stark by becoming Civil Warrior is unique. Totally. That's a great one. A good pull. 
Joshua at Blue Witness says, Number four of series two is another classic where the alien symbiote Venom actually takes control of Peter Parker. Some other powerful Marvel characters fall prey to the alien. This one is great. We talk about this one on recent episode of Marvel's Pull List. I've read it a bunch of times. It is a heartbreaker. I don't want to spoil it, but you should definitely read it. Find it. It's on Marvel Unlimited. It's issue number four of the 1990s What If series. Go read it right now and then get real sad. Oh. All right. Next up, an email from Dylan DeSalt, which says, my favorite what if comment would have to be, what if Punisher had killed Daredevil? This issue is just awesome. The story follows that the Punisher kills Daredevil by mistake, and this causes all of our heroes to come hunt him down. As a huge Daredevil fan, him being my favorite Marvel character, I thought this was very interesting to see what would happen if he was gone. What happens to Punisher, you might ask? Well, read the issue of What If and see for yourself. It's just great. Yes, it is great. I would agree. I really forget how many of the stories are kind of like ironic, sad twists. You know, they're very Twilight zone Yeah. Oh, the 90s were, they were just getting real in their feels with a lot of these stories. Well, the 90s. <laughs> All right, one more email, and it's from Sadie McFarland. And Sadie says, Wow, it was so hard to choose just one. There are so many amazing what if comics to pick from. However, I am going with the first episode of What If on Disney Plus. What if Captain Carter were the first Avenger? I was overwhelmed with joy to see Peggy back in the MCU. I loved Agent Carter so much, and Peggy is so confident in herself and isn't afraid to voice her opinion. She is amazing. P.S. I love the podcast. I listen to it Friday. And when Ryan and the rain say, this is Marvel, your universe, it makes me so incredibly happy. The perfect conclusion to my week. Sadie, thank you. Aw, that's so nice. You're about to get your wish. Also, that's proof that at least one person, our pal Sadie, listens all the way to the end. So hooray. <laughs> that's it. That's a whole episode. Gosh, we, we did it. Good job, us. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to What If Lorraine Didn't Come Up With a Good Tagline for the end of the show. What if? What if she did that? She would never. But in this universe, she does. <laughs> and then our producers lose the files. Then we have to go and re-record it. Then we miss our meetings. Then we get... <laughs> in trouble with our boss then we get fired and then we blow up the world because we're so angry that's how a 1990s what if ends great job <laughs> us i'm ryan i'm lorraine this is marvel your universe <laughs>